don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to our podcast. True Crimes and Storytimes. I'm Kirsten. I'm Michelle. And we're back. Hey. It feels weird recording again after taking a little break. Yeah, it does. It always does feel weird coming in here after a little bit. Yeah, even though it's only been like a week. Well, it's been like two Two weeks weeks since we've recorded. recorded. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels good to be back. It does feel good to be back. feels good to have a, a purpose. Yes. So... The last time we recorded, I did a true crime episode, so now mm-hmm. we're going to switch. And I'm going to be reading you guys a story that I found on Reddit, as usual. Yep, that's her thing, guys. Yep. Um, I found a couple stories by the same user mm-hmm. that I'm going to be reading over the course of the next couple weeks. Okay. Um, this story came comes from the subreddit Dark Tales. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever on that i probably read it but it, i just came upon came across it and it's pretty good that's good um but this is from the user or i don't know if it's one user or if it's multiple users mm-hmm. and they all post under the same one but it is 10 minute horror okay um and i will link the story down in the show notes and, and the their profile. profile down in the show notes um but this story is called I was involved in a prison break, but ended up somewhere way worse. Yikes. And this is going to be a two-parter. A two-parter. Two-parter. Um, Hashtag shout out to Morbid. Yeah, that was just, I was going to say we sound like Morbid. Yeah, I just honestly, they're one of our favorite podcasts and I've a lot been, of our inspiration. And so, like, sometimes that just is the type of stuff yeah. that goes through my head, to be real. But Oh, yeah. Just to give them credit, that's where that came from. Yeah. I've been listening to them a lot, like, on the way to and from work mm-hmm. the past couple weeks, and now I'm, like, out of episodes to listen to. So. Oh, I've been done with their episodes. <laughs> like, literally for, like, two years I've been done. Well, usually up. I, like, listen to music or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's so early in the morning, all my music puts me to sleep, mm-hmm. and I get so bored with it, so I'm like, you know what I'm not going to be bored with? Yeah. I'm not going to be going to be bored with listening to how somebody murders somebody, so. I've been so bored with music lately because I just listen to music so much, yeah. and so I listen to podcasts a lot, and now I'm bored with that, and then mm-hmm. I was listening to audiobooks, now I'm bored with that because at my job I can wear headphones all day, but it's just like, it's now like what? Now what do I listen yeah. to? I you don't want to listen to music. music. No. <laughs> I just can't. I don't want to right now. But I need um, more podcasts to listen to. So if you guys have any suggestions, let us know. Yeah. Anything. 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 I prefer true crime, but if it's just entertaining, that's fine too. I really like anything. Like, I listen to a podcast called, um, what's it called? It's been a while since I've listened to it, but it's really funny. It's like two comedians and they do like a history podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of that what would it's be called. Cool. Well, if you figure it out, let me know and I'll listen. And they do like little skits in it and stuff. It's mm-hmm. actually really funny. Um, The Dollop. The Dollop. It's called The Dollop. It's actually really funny, but it has like really crude humor. So if you're not about crude humor, 
don't listen to it, but it's honestly really funny. I'm about all the humor. Honestly. Anyways, Crooning let's get into the story. Okay. I'm gonna lap that just in case. Okay. So this is called, I was involved in a prison break, but ended up somewhere way worse by the user 10 Minute Horror. I didn't believe the sentence when it was handed out by the judge. I couldn't. I'd always believed, one way or another, justice would prevail and false convictions were something of myths and catastrophizers. But now, here I was, on the wrong side of one. The sound my wife Jess made while sitting in the benches behind me with our four-year-old daughter, Scarlett, will chill me until my last breath. Twenty-five years. Scarlett will almost be thirty by the time I see her next. As a free man, anyway. How the fuck did this happen? I went back over the night that caused this for the millionth time. I'd been angry that day, sure. I'd always had a temper. That was what the prosecutors had keyed on, and it worked out well for them. They marched in witnesses of all kinds with anecdotes and examples of my quick loss of composure during confrontations. They'd even used our neighbors. I couldn't argue against anything they were saying about my past. It was all true. Maybe a bit slanted, but I was quick to blow up on occasion. Especially when it came to Scarlet. I'd never felt protective over anything like I did the moment she was born, and I saw how vulnerable she was. Scarlet had always been curious about our neighbor, Mr. Monahan. He was of the old guard, vending machine generation, but was sweet on her. We'd let her go over to visit, and he'd had some kind of treats or snacks for her. One afternoon, though, Scarlet came back crying. She'd been drinking some lemonade, but had dropped the glass and broke it on the floor. Monahan spanked her. Jess and I had never laid a hand on her, and weren't planning on it being any part of future punishments. Scarlet was just too sweet and never did anything wrong. When she told me what happened, all I could see was red. I was overcome with rage and rushed over and confronted Monahan about it on his front lawn. It was heated, I won't say it wasn't, but it wasn't physical. Either way, several neighbors witnessed it, and that was offered up as motive. On the stand, I explained what happened that night. I'd calmed down and decided to go and speak to Monahan a little after nine. When I got there, his back door was open, so I entered and called out his name, asking if he was home. And then he stumbled out of the shadows and into me. He was covered in blood, a knife sticking out of his chest. I lost my balance, and we collapsed on top of each other. I tried to help him and made the biggest mistake of all. I pulled the knife out of his chest. He immediately started bleeding out, worse than he had already. But even more frightening, my fingerprints were now all over the murder weapon. Jess came in at that moment and saw the scene. If you ask her now, she'll say she knows in her heart of hearts, I didn't do it. But in that moment, when she came in and saw Monahan and I on the ground, covered in blood with a knife in my hand, I saw it in her eyes. She believed I had. And who could blame her? There had been a full investigation and sweep of the house. No signs of forced entry, just me. No witnesses, just my word against their perceived version of reality. 
My lawyer filed an appeal immediately, but that was a Hail Mary, especially without any new evidence. Twenty-five years. Everything after sentencing moved quickly. I was shuffled away before getting to say goodbye to Jess and Scarlett. Before I knew it, I was chained to another inmate, and a dozen of us were being loaded onto a reinforced prison transport bus to be taken to a max security facility. I was going to be bunking with the worst people in the state. The man, if you can call him that, I was chained to, was named John Wheatley Jr., He was a filthy psycho with long, stringy hair who never stopped talking. I heard his whole story before the bus even left the courthouse. Him and his father had been serial rapists, terrorizing up and down the West Coast, through Northern California and up into Oregon. During a sting to catch the duo, John had been caught, but his dad got away and was somewhere out there. John seemed to have all the stats on everyone on the bus, including me. He spoke about the two guys next to us. One was the tallest, largest black man I had ever seen. He had to lean forward because his head rubbed against the ceiling while he was sitting. His name was Don Richer, but people called him the Richer Scale. He was a drug dealer who had been given a bad batch and his mind had gone off the deep end. He had killed everyone in his apartment building and stacked their bodies in the furnace room, planning to burn them in the property before he was discovered. He was chained to a man named Colson Ling. Colson was a bit of a celebrity in the world of serial killers, apparently. He'd been a BTK copycat, binding, torturing, and killing his victims. John said his IQ was off the charts and he'd been a software developer with the family of six at home. They had to change their name and move to a new state when Colson's extracurriculars were discovered. The bus finally started moving, and everyone got quiet, except for John. He was excited and had that orange-crush-stained smile. I don't think his teeth had ever been clean. It was a six-hour drive to the prison through stormy backcountry. And all I could think about was the judge handing me my sentence. 25 years. There goes my life. I tried to sleep on the drive, but it was no use. I didn't think I'd ever fall asleep again. John nudged me, getting my attention, and said to brace for impact. I had no idea what that meant. I opened my eyes and realized we were now driving through old farmland and a heavy storm had started. John was facing the rear of the bus, his back pressed up against the seat in front of us. He told me to brace again. At that moment, I looked ahead. The two police cruisers that were escorting us suddenly spun out of control and went off the road, like their tires had gone out. Then our own tires blew out and the bus flipped and barrel rolled into a ravine. I blacked out but was awoken by gunfire and John yelling for me to get up. We'd been dislodged from our anchor points on the bus, but still chained together, and John was pulling me towards the rear doors. Richard and Colson, still chained together, were following our lead. The back door of the bus was bent in, but Richard used his shoulders and broke it outwards. 
Gunfire outside the bus continued to spray, lining the ceiling with holes. John pulled me out of the bus and was trying to look around to the front, but the storm was raging too hard. It sounded like there was a shootout between the one or two remaining officers and someone else. Then I heard John yell the word, Dad, and it made sense. His dad had orchestrated a transport intercept to get his son out, and now we were a part of it. Bullets were spraying everywhere, and we couldn't see what was happening from down where we were. Richard and Colson started booking it towards a large, dying cornfield. John, pissed off from abandoning his father, grabbed me and told me to run. I was operating on pure adrenaline and felt concussed from the accident. It wasn't immediately obvious to me what I was doing and how guilty it made me look to run. I tried to stop, but John yanked me forward and said he'd kill me if I didn't hurry as fast as I could. I knew the farther I ran, the longer my sentence would go. But in the moment, I was too terrified to stop. What was waiting for me in prison anyway? Claustrophobia and daily shower rapes? Colson led us into the woods beyond the cornfield, and we found ourselves following a stream for a mile or two. We came out on the other side of the woods and found ourselves in a large clearing. There was an old farmhouse ahead. It looked huge and out of place, run down and forgotten. That's where we were headed. As we got closer, my fear grew more and more. What was I doing with these maniacs? We got to the house, and above the threshold, the words, Pick away house, were carved into the frame. We pushed the door open and entered. The house appeared abandoned. Colson gave directions that we needed to find tools to break the chains, close the change in two, and weapons if we could. Quickly, we found a hammer and axe. We broke the chains, and the three of them rushed upstairs to look for clothes or weapons. I grabbed an iron poker from the fireplace and managed to pry the cuffs from my wrists. Finally, with a moment to myself, I sat down by the window to catch my breath. I started to think about Jess. I wonder what she was doing right now. How long until the news picked up on this? And how long until she found out I was a part of a jailbreak? One I didn't even want to be a part of. The idea of running back to the bus came to me, but what if I got back and these three got taken later? We'd all end up back in the same jail and they'd know I ran out on them. That would undoubtedly make my jail experience far worse. I didn't know what to do. Then I saw the tree line with dozens of agents holding flashlights and moving through the woods and into the clearing. It was both a relief and horror to see them. Now I didn't need to run, but this could also turn really bad. What if there's a standoff? What if John, Richard, and Colson find guns upstairs? Then I heard John yell out. He was upstairs looking out the window and saw the search party entering the clearing and approaching the farmhouse. The three men rushed downstairs, still in their orange jumpsuits. Richard and John freaked out, but Colson kept his head. I could tell he was very cerebral. He was formulating a plan. We were all going to go into the basement and hide. 
As the search party entered, we would take one officer out at a time, strip them and wear their uniforms. Then we would rejoin the search party in their place and split up, going our separate ways from there. It was a pretty good plan, for them anyway. I wanted no part of it, but I kept remembering, if I backstab them and we all end up back in prison, they'll kill me, or worse. So I kept my mouth shut and decided to follow whatever they said. But we couldn't get the basement door open. It was solid. Not even Richard could pull it off or break it down. Colson ordered us upstairs where we'd hide in one of the rooms. I followed them up and saw the second floor for the first time. There were four bedrooms, all empty. We piled into the closet in the master bedroom, the plan staying the same. I couldn't imagine us surviving this. I imagined the cops turning the corner, seeing us crammed into the closet and opening fire. Why wouldn't they? They probably thought we were responsible for the deaths of all the cops in the transport. What a horrible feeling, thinking I'd be dying in some strange closet with these monsters. But minutes were passing, and we hadn't heard anyone come into the farmhouse. Were they setting up a perimeter? Formulating their own plan? knowing we were likely hiding inside. A few more minutes passed, and Coulson decided to look outside. And that's when everything became really strange. The search party had walked right past the farmhouse. They hadn't come in and checked or anything. In fact, as I looked out the window and watched them, it seemed like they didn't even see the farmhouse. Like, they looked either right past it or right through it. We watched as the officers and agents continued across the field. They set up a large search party headquarters a few hundred yards away. More and more officers and agents arrived. Were they waiting for the army to show up? The storm was still raging, and the day was descending into dusk. We moved downstairs and watched the search party. They'd spread out all over the county, it looked like. I could even see them going into other farms in the far distance and searching through them, but finding nothing. It dawned on John that as long as we stayed inside the farmhouse, the search party wouldn't be able to find us. We just needed to stay here, inside, until they passed fully. Then we could make our run for it. John and Richard were thrilled with this. It was clear they weren't the slightest bit worried about why no one had come in to find us or had even been able to see the farmhouse. I shouldn't have been surprised they weren't that worried. Anywhere was better than prison for these guys. I could tell Coulson's mind was running, though, trying to make sense of it, as was I. But there was no sense. Either the search party didn't want to come in, or they flat out didn't see the house. Either option was frightening, and I wanted out. I hatched a plan to try and sneak away that night when the others were asleep. I could get to an officer and explain what happened. Tell him there were others hiding. I might sound crazy, but this was all crazy. Since the arrest, everything felt like a nightmare had spilled into my reality. An hour later, it was pitch black out, and the storm had gotten worse. We couldn't even see the search party anymore, outside of their dim headlights through the rain. John hadn't stopped talking and was more or less celebrating that we were safe and clear. Though he was nervous, his father had been killed in the shootout and was cursing himself for running off after the bus flip. 
Colson was quiet. I could tell he was taking it all in from different angles. He went upstairs, and John followed shortly after. I stared out the window in the living room, watching the storm coming down and thinking about Jess and Scarlett. I played out scenarios in my head where one night I show up at home and we get all our money and make a run for the border and raise our daughter in Mexico. It was a crazy idea, but I figured I was looking at an additional 10 years now for being dragged along in this stunt. So it was either 35 years minimum behind bars or run. I had a lot to think about tonight. Not to mention the fact that there was something wrong with this farmhouse. And I had a disturbing feeling that when we try to leave in the morning, it won't be as simple as walking out the front door. I turned away from the window and was startled by Richard. He was standing in front of the basement door, fixated on it. He made me so uneasy. He easily had over 200 pounds on me, most of which was raw animal muscle. He was about six inches taller than me and the last person I wanted to be alone in a room with for more than a second. At least his attention was on the door, for now. And that's where we'll stop for part one. Wow. It is a little bit shorter, but if I continue with part two, this will be quite a long episode. So, yeah, we'll just split it in half. Okay. And see what happens in the next part. That was really good. I think this uh, author does a really good job writing. Mm-hmm. It's like I vividly saw everything. Yes. It was worded very well. It really was. It really I really enjoyed picture. that. Yes. I can't wait to hear the rest of it, really. So, if uh, you guys liked it and you want to find out what happens, if uh, what's going on with this house, if they get caught. Listen to our next episode. Don't go, look it up. Come on. Yeah, don't look it up. Go. Just wait till next week. It'll be up next Wednesday. And you'll find out. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Uh, Sorry for the short episode, but it'll be worth it in the end, I promise. All right, well, thanks for listening. Um, Go subscribe to our Patreon. Yep. And follow us on all our socials. All the links will be in the show notes. Yes. And we will see you on Friday. Catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.